Have you ever said to yourself, Gosh, I do love the dazzling action films of today, but darn if there aren't a lot of straight white men. Or maybe, Gee, Fast and Furious is a diverse and enjoyable action experience, but boy do I wish they would tone down that misogyny. Well, you might enjoy the Bad Feminist Film Club. It's a place for people who know. It's okay to criticize the things you love, and it's alright to love some really stupid movies. So join the Bad Feminist Film Club today, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm Steph, and you're listening to The Thirst. You can find us online, Twitter, we're at The Thirst, Facebook.com forward slash The Thirst Pod, on Instagram, we're at The Thirst Pod, SoundCloud.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. You can search for us on Apple Podcasts by finding The Thirst. You can also now find us on Spotify by searching for The Thirst, and you can email us to thethirstpod at gmail.com. Um, this is episode 28. Have you got any puns? Well, it has to be 28 days later, obvs. 28 days later, starring Killian Murphy. Yeah, 28 weeks later, starring persons some other people non-killian descent have you seen that yes i don't remember any of it good was it not memorable in the slightest i don't think i cared because um it didn't have killian murphy exactly interesting interesting fact about 28 days later it was probably the first time on screen that i saw um, a man naked so there you go (gasps) oh really yeah on screen for some reason i interpreted that as the first time you'd seen a man naked full stop and i was like oh in in a film oh okay you know you're like wow that was wow wow (laughs) killian murphy wow and look at us now that's quite a beginner isn't it really that's Um, aiming high that's starting in high and then probably being disappointed later on the session began yeah anyway good um, times got any others um no, I put it as the age of Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, good for her. <laughs> and Ed Sheeran. Sure. I've got the film 28 Days with Sandra Bullock and Viggo Mortensen. That. It's I a great drama about people being in rehab. Is it? Yeah. For 28 Days. For 28 I Days, yeah. There. So. Oh. No, I didn't go. know that. Couldn't find any songs. No, I couldn't either. Just Spotify wasn't doing me any favours. I think there's a, Jan- a J. Cole song called January 28th. That's about it. Oh, there you go. Oh, it's not even... I got excited it was January. It's not even January. It's not. It's February 23rd. Well, great chat. Um, so we're going to begin with some news um a couple of things that we have uh, been paying attention to have caught our attention in the past couple of weeks week or so um firstly just a couple of really important photo shoots oh god for yeah. us yeah that have caused quite a stir firstly good old gq who always come through with the money they always amazing always, gentlemen's quarterly amazing. always the good stuff always the good stuff they featured lucas hedges uh, on their march cover of gq uh lucas hedges is already here by alice gregory for those who don't know he's the young actor in moonrise kingdom manchester by the sea ladybird three billboards and boy erased so we're, we're fans of him. I like that they refer to him as a good egg in this article. I feel that sum, him sums him up beautifully. It was one of my personal highlights um, from that piece. What an absolute joy. I'm so glad that our feed was just full of it, really. He's and just a delight. He's such, he's such a delight. What I find... I mean, we'll talk about the, the actual pictures of joy in a minute. But, like, reading about him 
and this is this is a bit like well worn now and quite a trodden path so it's it sounds boring for me to repeat it but he does have so many parallels with timmy in terms of someone who is sort of they've had such a similar trajectory well what i thought was quite funny is that so this time last year so 2018 Mm. around the same time there was the timmy for gq yeah yeah um front cover and same shoot as well so the photographs for this GQ um, Lucas Hedges piece with, uh, photographed by Ryan McGinley who also Is did, it the, the, oh, did the shoot the, for Timmy last year they're so they're so I mean it's a comparison that I think he's had before oh, yeah. um, and it must get quite annoying but they do I mean like Lucas is 22 he like born and lives in New York does a lot of theatre work like it's just funny like in this interview even the fact that he kind of refers to to the fact that he prefers the company of like older people they're just really similar very similar they seem really similar and also they are both at this point like i know timmy's got slightly more kind of he's kind of bigger now and better known but they both seem to be at this point where they're like consistently in films that we both love or enjoy or Mm -hmm. really hyped about seeing yeah but it's not like a massively widespread thing outside of our our kind of social media circles so yeah, they've just got really similar, yeah, very similar trajectories. I did find it interesting actually in the GQ piece where it does mention that when they're sort of wandering around New York, he does get stopped a few times yeah. by people who recognise him or yeah. people that recognise him and can't place him. And I thought that that was really interesting that he's obviously someone that is on the up and up. People yeah. sort of recognise. I mean, because I think he is quite recognisable. Yeah, I would. Re- yeah, he's got a very distinct look. So I think that it's not like it's he's just like your everyday. I don't know, person that you would No, no, I think disregard. he is recognisable, but he's not like someone that in the office at work everyone knows who I'm talking no, about. No, absolutely not. To him. He's like that kind of, he's at that like secret level where it's yeah. like everyone in your... Those who your, know, know, Yeah, those who know, know. Um, but it was a really nice little, really nice little interview. And just the, just the pictures, man. The pictures just were really good. Lovely, colourful, abstract photo shoot. Lots yeah, of that was the thing I'd written, was yeah. just like so much colour. Just the so much. suit. Oh my overalls. God, the pink Versace suit. The, the Dior shirt. tank top. The the tank top where he's like biting the netting of like some sort Too of, much. I don't know, a goal, whatever. The red shirt and pants and orange trench. It's just a lot, isn't it? It's good. Do you fancy him? I, I think I might do a little you bit. You do fancy but him? in the sense, well, I don't know. I said, I think I said this to you and Vaughn, didn't I? That I was like, do I fancy Lucas Hedges now? And I can't tell whether I fancy him or if I just really want him to be my friend so I can spend a lot of time with him because he just seems like the best person ever. Yeah, he just, I think he just seems like the nicest person ever. He just seems incredibly chill. And there's like a, a sort of a couple of quotes in, in the actual GQ piece where he just seems like... I don't know. He just seems like a very like like the fact that you know he is some he is um he's what people mean when they call someone a good egg. 100%. Oh my god, he's such a good egg. And there was what what were some of the others I've got oh, here? Oh, he worries that his general aversion to texting is a reflection of some naturally selfish tendencies, and that his affection for movies he knows are dull and not actually any good might indicate a lack of trust in or maybe even disdain for other people. Oh. Same, same. Oh my god, same. <laughs> yeah, I like that they just like I like that. Alice Gregory describes him as having that heart-rendering quality that makes you want to kiss them and take care of them at the same time. Yeah. I assume that's how other people feel about Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, and I think like, so. Just, I, you know, I just want to, like, 
look after him. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel towards Lucas Hedges. Absolutely. I did like the fact that he says he writes a letter to himself before he goes to bed every night. That's a bit much, And he isn't has it? dream therapist and stuff. I just... Lucas. Is that real? Do you think he's I made think that he up to sound really clever? I like to think he's I don't think that's up. the thing that people actually... I don't have time in my day, and I'm a person who do- doesn't have anything important to do. Yeah. I don't have time in my day to, like, write a letter to myself. No, he does strike me as the type of person that would have a dream journal, though, so it didn't he seem would, entirely Yeah, he probably far-fetched. does have, like, a doodle journal as well. Yeah. Just, Places for his trip, and the thing about his girlfriend sewing like little it? rainbow labels into. Oh his yeah, clothes. so it says. Um, so the piece starts with the two um, Alice Gregory and, and Lucas Hedges meeting to go to the MoMA, but the MoMA's closed, and it says in lieu of a jacket, Hedges wore a crew neck sweatshirt onto which his girlfriend had stitched a bunch of inside jokes in rainbow thread. This That's is so too much. cute. So cute. Also, I don't have time to do that ever. No, I don't think I don't think there's anyone on the planet I can be bothered to like sew clothes for. No, for me it felt very indicative of like young being love. yeah being very young and yeah. the type of thing you might do for your like your love interest when you're like twenty two years I old. I think I must have been really lazy because I don't think I would have. I might have made him like a sandwich. Yeah, that would be nice or a cake. Yeah. Mm. I'm not really fussed by baking, so you probably just have to have a sandwich. You'd make him a sandwich, I'd probably bake him a cake. I'd make him a sandwich. Yeah. I'll wrap it in cling foil. He can have chocolate with it for his lunchbox. That's there you go. That's all I'd do. Either way, if, if you haven't had the chance to look at the photo shoot that accompanies this piece, then I would Such a good shoot. absolutely do so. I'm just really grateful real to GQ for always... They do always make us happy, don't always they? Always a highlight, way. always a highlight, especially that Harry shoot. Oh, and uh, there's been a yeah, there's Lord. been a few golden golden oldies now. Thanks. So uh, thanks, just, GQ. Just thanks to them. Um, and the other one, which was a bit of a curveball, really, complete curveball, um, really. Just who knew? Who knew? Calvin Klein released images of their spring 2019 underwear and jeans campaign sure. combined um, earlier this month. The campaign features Shawn Mendes, Kendall Jenner, Noah Senti. Is it Centineo? No, Centineo, yes. No, Centineo is the one. And ASAP Rocky. Um, the campaign was shot by British fashion photographer Glenn Luchford. Luchford? Well, I've a... written Lunchford, and Lunchford? Then I it's probably wrong. So. I think, well, I've got, I've got I Glenn Luchford. I think knows. it's Luchford. Luchford, we'll do that. In a domestic suburban setting, <laughs> and this is my favourite bit, with the aim of, quote, capturing the raw and honest emotions and experiences of youth today. I don't and think... then I just put lol, because they're just like hot people in their pants. I don't really, think that's, that's like a really you know when you go to an art gallery and you look at like a piece of paper that's got like one dot on it yeah and then you read like the artist's intention on a piece and of you're like, like and, um, you're, and you're like that doesn't two things don't line up they're then. in like a scummy motel and they're all really beautiful and naked that's yeah. not really not very equivalent to my no. life I have not got like ASAP Rocky like riding a little fucking bicycle down the it's, it's like a BMX bicycle little, <laughs> little bicycle Shame little penny off. farthing down the corridor in this motel um no the main I mean ASAP Rocky's hot so I was like oh yeah yeah, yeah fine yeah, great lovely Sean Mendes mm-hmm. what's happening here I so full disclosure and this will horrify Von of all people I have no opinion on Sean Mendes like prior to this, I don't think I've ever heard in my life a Sean Mendes song. I had to Google. Not in my blood. In my no. blood is that what it's called? I had to Google after song. we saw these photos to confirm that he was in fact a singer because I didn't know. <laughs> Wait, like, that's is quite he unusual for you. I know. You usually know your yeah. shit. So I had no opinion of Sean Mendes prior to this. However, now do you have a, do you yeah, have an opinion of him? It's quite now? cute. Oh, April, isn't the he? Shot of him in the chair. Please with don't. A cheap green motel no. background. That is a lot. It's a lot, isn't it? That was a... Yeah, I also mostly had no opinion of him, apart from being, like, some 
cute kid that like, he's generically handsome just generically handsome isn't he i think he might be more than generically handsome and i think he might actually stray into being quite hot he's quite hot that yeah it's a yeah. weird one it's a lot i've uh, definitely the, thought about it a lot more than i ever thought I've, I would. I've looked at it a few times yeah. there's been a few googles i googled it at work the other day that was pretty when good. you sent it to me i was completely caught off guard well i was like april i was astounded. confused by it like what is this i'm astounded i can't believe what Whoops i'm looking is at this i'm just Whoops is this angel um it was a lot going on at the brits he suggested Shawn Mendes suggested that Harry Styles would break the internet if they did the same thing with him, and then I was just like, we don't don't even go there. That I think even Calvin Klein, no, that's too far. That would be too much. Do you know who's boring though? Kendall Jenner. No one cares about that. I don't understand any of the Kardashian. No, I think family, that's that's so... a huge like plot hole in our in our I podcasting. I just don't get, get it. it. I have no interest. She's fine, I'm sure. I just don't get it at all. I don't think she's got any personality, so... No. Did you see that Lizzo tweet about Shawn Mendes? No. From the Brits? I think it was from the Brits. There's like a red carpet video, mm-hmm. um, and she's talking to a reporter, and in the background, um, Shawn Mendes is just like staring at her, like staring into, his, into her soul without blinking. And she quoted it on Twitter and put, get you a man that looks at you the way Shawn Mendes looks at me doing press. So good. It's what so good. She's amazing, but What's also... That? And he honestly does. He looks like he's just caught sight of like the most beautiful creature in the whole mesmerized. world and he can't yeah totally mesmerized what a good it's boy. amazing what a good boy i think we're like sean mendes stands now i mean i'd, I'd gladly entertain sing. talking about he him. can, can sing he? check it out he can sing okay i can't testify to like i haven't listened to a whole album mm-hmm. but it, it does seem that he can sing interesting so, Maybe this will be a new chapter in our lives. Who knows? Maybe I'll just come back on the next episode and be new like... New chapter for the thirst. We're like, holy shit, we're Shawn Mendes stands really now. Billy loves Shawn Mendes. Yeah, just got a little corner of Shawn Mendes. Um, something else which, given the Oscars sort of having happened and, and A Star Is Born being something that we've talked about at length many times on this podcast... You don't say. Um, Lady Gaga and Kristen Carino have split up. Yeah, so, their engagement's done so, isn't it? Right, so on February 19th, reps confirmed with People magazine that um, the singer and her fiancé had split. Following fan speculation, um, the pair had become engaged in November 2017. Um, it's a quote from People mag. It said, it just didn't work out. Relationships sometimes end. Um, a source tells That's a bit Pete, waffy, isn't it? It's it is a really bit, right. isn't it? Adding that the pair split a bit ago. There's no long dramatic story. <laughs> <laughs> what this is what I I mean and this is something we've talked about at length sort of um, on a personal level so speculation began that the couple was taking time apart when Eagle Eye fans noticed that Gaga was not wearing her engagement ring at the Grammy Awards um, she also didn't thank Carino in her acceptance speech after her song Shallow won the best pop uh, or duo group performance prize he didn't go to the Grammys with her but um, which was unusual because he had attended both the SAG Awards and the Golden Globes and they were literally the like season. two days before yeah if you think about the there. time frame of awards season it's tiny not- there's not a huge amount of time in between things. So on Valentine's Day as well, uh, Lady Gaga didn't share any images of her with her partner, but she instead debuted her new back tattoo, which is a rose. I'm really glad that money can't even buy you decent tattoos at this point. Mm. Like, well, we've talked at length about she's, how... She collects some shitters, doesn't she? We've talked at length about how what we should offer is, is a service where you direct famous people who have all the money in the world literally all the money in the world to someone who can give them a decent tattoo it's just funny what taste is it's just it's a fine thing i'm sure i think i don't think the main thing from this story is that i'm supposed to be focusing on 
no tattoo, no. but still, that just, I think that sums up the relationship perfectly, that I got distracted. I think the problem is, I just had no real opinion of him. He was very tanned and had, like, moderately nice hair. I feel like he's someone I should fancy. I mm. think we've said this before. He's got all the traits of someone that I should fancy. He looks like a rich Long person. Long hair, bit bit greasy. He looks like he spends all his time in the Mediterranean on yeah. a boat. He's definitely a person I should fancy. I just don't. He seems quite boring. I... He's like a talent agent, isn't he? He's like... I don't oh, even know. He's, this is, I looked it up because I was like, who the fuck is him? Uh-huh. Like, is him? Who the fuck is him? Um, he works for Creative Arts right. Agency, which is the company that represents Lady Gaga. Oh, sure. And apparently she's one of his clients. That would be awkward, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, that's what, weird. What do, you, what do you do then? Probably just give it to someone else. He also has a giant tattoo of her on his arm. That's a bit Does awkward he? as well. Yeah. Weird. So, I think what's interesting is in that Lady Gaga documentary, um, the five foot two thing. Oh, yes. Um, the, obviously a large point of that is where she's just ended the relationship with her previous person that she was engaged <laughs> to. Previous person? I can't I remember, remember his name. Taylor right something? Something. Taylor Kinney? No, is that a person I've just made up? Slater Kinney. Slater Kinney? Yeah. I think it's him, Taylor. Anyway, she ended that relationship and she's talking about how she can't stay in a relationship and be successful at the same time. And when I saw this news had been announced... Oh, yeah, like every time she hits a wave, she's like, can everyone just fuck off out of my space? Yeah. I've got some stuff to do. I mean... That is greatly ignoring the fact that she's clearly just in love with Bradley Cooper. Well, the next thing I was going to say is speculation is that Bradley Cooper may have been involved. And we've talked again at length about the fact that Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga have A, probably... 100% 100% banged. Yeah. B, that she Probably 100% She banged. is like desperately She's in love desperately with him. in love with him. Yeah, I think that may have come between their... Rela- this is me just, you know... This is like, all speculation. Laying it down, just laying it down, truth bobs about this relationship of which I have no involvement whatsoever. Don't know anything about them. In my head, the story goes Go that on. she's so desperately in love with him that she just can't... She can't be with Christian anymore because it's just, you know, it's not what she wants. And she's hoping that Bradley is going to, you know, feel the same and break it off with his partner and leave his family and that's just not going to happen. No, I don't think that either. I think this is very... It just feels very much of the A Star Is Born, like... It feels very Lady Gaga, doesn't it? Yeah, it just feels very much like this is a big wave of, like, thing that they're currently riding. just feels very Lady Gaga. She's going to have quite a come down now, I think. I'm worried. Yeah. There's going to be more tears. Yeah. When is there not tears, to when be honest? When is there not tears? But also, I guess it's worth mentioning that they did that. Cooper was in the audience for Lady Gaga's show in Vegas the oh, yeah. other, like, at the end of January, and he came on stage with her, and it was all very weepy and cryy and intense. And it's just that this intensity has just come off the off the screen and just continues, doesn't it? I think in my head, they're, like, two people who are, like, desperately in love with each other but can't be they together. They can't be. And it's they just, like, be. absolute torture, despite the fact that everyone knows about it. Right, and what worries me is that if she if it turns out that she actually doesn't have feelings for him and they are just friends the fuck is she like if you are dating I her? think in like 20 25 years time that, that she'll write a book and it'll be like when Carrie Fisher wrote her book Bradley and, and she I. mentioned that her and Harrison Ford had been having an affair on the set of Star Wars Ugh. I feel like it'll be Lady Gaga will talk at length about how her and Bradley Cooper had like we're a, banging we're and like we'll go well we, we know that obviously yeah. you were banging obviously no. anyway, this is very sad for Lady Gaga especially because she um, didn't win as many awards during awards season <laughs> so she can't even be consoled she can't by even her be consoled. Beyonce she did win an Oscar though they so weren't nice. yeah yeah she won an Oscar that's nice and you know they weren't together that long I'm sure she'll, she'll pick herself up she'll again. be fine it'll be fine she's got money 
Um, just a ch- quick check-in to Timmy time. I'm just the little corner of this podcast that's going to disappear. It's going to go away soon, isn't it? Now so. it's probably the last one, to be honest, because he's off filming June. Just wanted to just spare a moment to talk about Timmy at the BAFTAs, oh. um, his last appearance, and he did so in style, sort of. Um, I'm going to stand by this outfit. He looks great. I think I he liked looks great it. in everything. So he wore this leopard print metallic blazer and shirt combo they were in fact the same material it was a lot with a black trouser Mm -hmm. which had a van style checkered red stripe side detail and combat boots it was very tony hawks too it really was wasn't it i mean good no trainers yeah. But I'm not sure what the Vans trousers oh, were about. Can you imagine if you wore trainers with it? Oh, big, big white trainers. He would have been like the Grebo dream. He would be the Grebo dream. It was, um, a, it was a good look. I enjoyed it. I just fancied him so much. It's unreal, obviously. I also like the fact that I feel like Rami Malik turned up in his all white suit thinking he was breaking the mould and like doing it big style. And then Timmy comes in and... Well, as it should like, be, Bitch, I'm I wearing think. two different types of print. And they don't like. That's a bold wacky. move. That's that is a, a that is a move I would never personally make myself. No. Um, but it was it was pretty good. I was I was into it. Um, and we also had the the Timmy sitting next to the girl on the flight story. Oh, that, that was also a good one. happened. I can't work out whether that was creepy or well, I said, admirable. Or I mean, if you're a young if you're a young girl, you're gonna live tweet all your thoughts. I mean, about I said Chalamet to you, to like, if you were sat on a plane next to Timothy Chalamet, like, would you genuinely say something to him, or would you like wait until the last minute and you lean over and be like, "By the way, I loved you and call me by your name." I think I'd have would... to do it early because I'd be so desperate to establish our relationship as soon as possible. But then you've got to sit in silence next to this. Person. I literally don't think I'd stop talking. Yeah, that's he'd have why the I worst about. flight of his life because I just uh, I'd ask him more questions than she asked. In an ideal scenario, I think I would just sit there and probably be texting you, would you sniff freaking him? out. Like, yeah, of course I would. I'd pretend, I'd pretend to fall asleep and rest on his shoulder. Yeah, I'd lean across and be like, "Oh, I really need to open the window." Like, shade <laughs> open thing. the window. Just gonna say, open the window on the airplane. No, Whoa, it's a bit hot the- in here. <laughs> right, open the blind. Yeah, oh, just need to. And then, and I'd, then at the end, yeah, I would be like, "Just so you know, I thought you were fabulous and call me by your name." Fabulous. And then leave. I just like out a big peach, start eating it. <laughs> So a really juicy, really juicy peach. Mm, and then I'd turn weird. to him and I'd say, I'm going to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> Do you need to go to the bathroom? And then I'd give him a knowing look and then I'd come back afterwards and he will have moved. I think in my head I'd be really cool about it, but in actuality I'd be having an absolute meltdown. I think I'd probably <laughs> sweat quite profusely to the point where he'd probably notice that I had like I was smelling because I'm so stressed my favourite thing about that story was the fact that she was sat listening to the Coin by a Name soundtrack for a while in case trying you heard to, like, it trying to be really chill like turning it up but like bruising her do. eardrums like can you hear me listening to Sufjan can you hear it you know when like you were maybe a teenager and if you had like a portable mp3 device of some kind yeah. probably an iPod and, and if there was someone next to you on the bus <laughs> and you would be like listening to something cool you'd be like purposefully like turning it on the side yeah being like oh just, just, just can you see I I'd be sat there. Keep pressing it so the light comes on yeah. so people can see what you're listening I'd to. I'd be sat there either listening to Frank Ocean, Kid Cuddy, I'd, you'd or listen to Kid Stevens. You'd put like, Kid Cuddy on and then you'd be like, oh, sorry. Or like oh. accidentally pull the earphones out and play, oh my God, so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is so awkward. Um, all of, I do all of these things. Yeah. I'm glad you asked him like how tall he is and... Can you stand up please immediately? That's yeah, like, like, yeah. It was just, I mean, I credit to her. I know people have been 
complaining that she shouldn't have done that. But he a, a, she's good a kid, sport, though. And he was a very good sport. And the fuck is he doing sitting in an economy if he doesn't right. want to talk to people? He was perfectly pleasant about it all. He could have been awful. He could have asked him to be moved or anything like that, and he didn't. So. He did initially say that he wasn't Timothy Chalamet, but I think I think a lot of famous people do didn't that, get though. very far with that, did he? Are you so and so? No, I'm not. Okay, cool. I'd be like, okay, you're lying. I love you. You're 100% Timmy. Yeah, you are a Timmy. But I think that's pretty much all we're going to have now. Now he's filming June alongside everyone in the world who's ever been cast in a film. Apparently so, Jason Momoa. Great. Yeah, we're, we're not so fussed about that, are we? No. I don't really get it. It's fine, isn't it? I don't yeah, care. it's fine. I don't know what he'd be playing. Hopefully there'll be some good like on-set shoots. Where are they filming it? I don't know. Is it the UK? Oh, Are we going to have to consider driving somewhere What if they're again? filming at Pinewood? Why would they be at Pinewood? Because that's where lots of things do. get filmed is Pinewood. Where would you film June? I don't know. I don't know, somewhere with sand. Sandy. <laughs> Great Yarmouth. Goulston Beach. Holcomb. Holcomb. Oh, that's picturesque. Lovely. No one gets this if they okay, live in we'll Norfolk. find out where they're filming it and then we'll maybe have a drive. And then but... just go for a little weekender. Yeah, sure. We can't fine. contemplate that We again. need some Timmy Time content. Time. Timmy Time content. We'll get we'll get little women at the end of the year. So True. just another cool 10 months to go. Yeah. Um, just another quick thing we wanted to mention before we go on to what we've been uh, watching and listening to recently. Um, we hit 10,000 listeners. We bloody did as well. That was nice, wasn't it's it? nice, isn't it? Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Can't believe... I mean, thanks, Mum, for listening to it 5,000 times. Yeah, thanks, Mum. Thanks, April, for probably putting it on a loop in the background to up our stats. Um, no, that's... How dare you? Sorry, I never I listened never to my, the sound of my own voice. Do you ever. not ever listen back to it? Oh, God. Well, at least 10 of those listen to I have to, to edit it. Yeah, that's true. Why would I want to listen to it again? It. But yeah, thanks for that, because that's quite nice. That's like... T- I can't really think of any other things I've probably done in the world 10,000 times, apart from, like, breathe. Go for a wee. Eat yeah, I do sticks. go. I go, oh, my God. I probably have eaten 10,000 salt vinegar chip sticks in my life. Yeah. But apart from that, yeah. this is a nice, quite big deal for us. Yeah. So um, thanks a lot. Um, so, on to what we've been watching, listening to, reading, etc. Um, on the movies front, Velvet Buzzsaw came out yes. a few weeks ago. So, it's written and directed by Dan Gilroy, who's known for Nightcrawler. Um, it debuted on Netflix on the February the 1st, after premiering at the Sundance Film Festival the week prior. Um, it's got a great ensemble cast. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Renee Russo, Tony Collette, Tom Sturridge, Natalie Dyer, David Diggs, ba- Billy Magnuson and John Malkovich. Um, it's the second collaboration between Dan Gilroy and Jake Gyllenhaal after Nightcrawler, obviously. Um, it focuses on the L.A art world and after a series of paintings by an unknown artist are discovered a supernatural force enacts revenge on those who've allowed their greed to get in the way of art and um, the film features some great character names which i'm sure we'll discuss morph van der Walt. morph is such a good name it is a good name isn't it rodora hayes john don don john don don's my favorite john don don john don don and um, ventral dees um the film generally has received sort of a slightly mixed response so i'm yeah. very interested to hear what you thought of it i watched it myself the weekend it you came out it before I did didn't on my you? own because I was so desperate to watch it. I've been looking she forward to seeing it. Um, the trailer had aired maybe a month before mm-hmm. and it was all a bit strange, so I was pretty pumped. Obviously, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, Nightcrawler is one of my favourite of his films, so it's I was, a really good film. I really, yeah, like and I was really pumped for another collaboration between Dan Gilroy and um, Jake. So, um, yeah, I couldn't wait to watch it. And then we watched it maybe the week after yes, together, we did. didn't we? we did. So, what were your general thoughts on it? I, you know what, I like liked it i you know if you take it for what it was it's a good fun movie it's a fun satirical sort of genre bending horror movie you know i really it's just 
I, I like that it's, you know, a satire of an industry that just often plays like a ridiculous parody mm-hmm. anyway. I mean, it's an industry that I don't know a lot about. It's not yeah. something I'm very invested in. No. But I know, you know, very much that the idea of what can be interpreted as art nowadays and what art should cost is always being kind of debated and laughed about and seems like a really good, you know, it's a really great idea for a horror movie premise yeah and i really enjoyed that it reminded me of the neon demon in a lot of ways a sort of a grotesque satire of that kind of industry i just like like i liked it and i the thing is my expectations because i'd seen the trailer yeah i kind of knew what i was going in yeah absolutely so i don't i'm surprised if people are i'm not surprised if people don't think it's like the best yeah people like maybe quality wise or whatever they're not they don't think it's the best uh-huh. but i am surprised if people are offended by this film in any way because i think for what it was it was perfectly good and like a really good kind of slice of fun yeah sort of supernatural horror slapstick silliness yeah i mean based on the trailer alone i didn't necessarily have my expectations too high and i think i tweeted something flagrant like after the trailer and i said like i can't believe this is going to be the film or i can't wait to spend all of 2019 defending like defending this, film. this film, and i do yeah. think that's absolutely the case because i think that like i had a very fun time watching it it's totally I fun actually really enjoyed even more watching it the second time mm-hmm. around because obviously having seen it and knowing what was coming i was able to sort of look at it a little bit harder mm, there were things mm. i sort of missed the first time around because i, I don't know just didn't pick up yeah on there it. are some details and yeah. it, it's absolutely silly it's absolutely absurd it is i think a really interesting satire of the art world and something that i find generally especially in modern art as well yeah find it's quite baffling, preposterous. It? it is there's, there's a lot of scenes where they're going to like the kind of you know the museum mm. uh, sorry gallery kind of mass sort of know, it's but, like an exhibition space with yeah lots exhibition of space, like, yeah. like the benny owls that kind of thing and having been to sort of things like that in in different cities like when i've been to berlin before yeah, yeah. they have the sort of um city-wide festival where mm. they have different galleries have different yeah. aspects of modern art and some of the stuff you go and see in that you're literally like, like what the fuck am i looking at yeah absolutely so i i just thought it was a fun time i, I think, thought it was yeah. like it, it's peak like jake gyllenhaal being weird and absurd and like fully going just into character brilliantly acting. over the top i mean he's he's so a flawless actor anyway it's just so brilliantly over the top for him i really like that he still takes on these like quirky weird little films yeah that, you know he can do kind of big blockbuster stuff but he he loves doing stuff like this doesn't it? and he this felt very like an at-home kind of film for him and something that he would totally love doing you can see that he's really comfortable in it and obviously dan gilroy is someone that he's worked with mm-hmm. before in a similarly kind of intense bizarre weird role but in a year when you've got so you've got velvet buzzsaw for us in the uk we've got the sisters brothers which i know came mm-hmm. out in the states last year but that's another jake john hall mm-hmm. sort of starring film and then you've also got him in um the next spider-man film as well so of the God, three yeah. films this year they're all very Such different a crazy range isn't and it? yeah absolutely and i think for me that just showcases his sort of willingness to do a whole range of stuff i mean i'd been sort of like reading a few reviews of the film because i'd had obviously and i did say to you in advance of when we watched it that obviously i find it really difficult where jake gyllenhaal is concerned to be objective <laughs> yeah because i just love, you're like wow look at this him. amazing beautiful man right i just love him i love his work so and i got quite a few questions from people saying like oh is it good is it worth watching blah blah, blah. and i think it's not prince of persia is it no right and i, I don't know necessarily know whether it's good and i don't know necessarily know whether it's everyone's cup of tea but 
I I enjoyed it, but there was one particular re- review which was um, David Ehrlich for IndieWire, and mm. this particular quote I think for me he was a little bit more ambivalent towards it than I was. But this was on the money for me. It says not only is Velvet Buzzsaw the kind of batshit insane, fiercely uncommercial gift factory of a movie that only Netflix can make, it's also blood-soaked propaganda for a streaming platform where every piece of art has an equal price, where a magnum opus like Roma is effectively worth the same as a comedy about a kid who gets his dick cut off of the package, <laughs> where some Something like Bird Box can become the most popular movie on the wo- in the world on the strength of its memes, where a disembodied marketplace requires no box office, no taste, and no one to mourn for all the artists whose work is co- co-signed to the void by the almighty algorithm that rules us all. And I did think it is very much something that is like peak Netflix. It is. They yeah. worked very... Their press people and their marketing and all the comms, like all, everything that came out in the wake of Velvet Buzzsaw, they'd done a very good job of making it like memeable making it yeah, gifable. yeah 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 but they know exactly what they're doing don't they absolutely but the thing i i was thinking a lot about is that that just seems very typical of the what the film is talking about oh this yeah it's just like the absurdity super, yeah it, or... it's a superficial absurd film about a superficial and absurd industry yeah. and yeah on this platform it kind of it all and it obviously doesn't take itself no seriously which is i yeah i can't really i can't really criticize it too much for that um the supernatural and the horror elements are sort of very deliberately kind of campy and ridiculous yeah it's pretty bad cgi and i'm gonna say it's not because the budget was tight Mm -mm. like the bad cgi is bad because it's that's clearly the aesthetic they were going for. yeah it looks naff yeah it's pretty naff but you know since when was like a naff horror film a bad thing like it's it's completely it's fun i'd say i really loved tony collette in it as gretchen her outfits as well fucking unreal right I really like John Malkovich as Piers, who's kind of this aging artist who's trying to recapture his kind of mojo. I like seeing Natalia Dyer as Coco the intern. I don't think I've really really seen her outside of Stranger Things. And I think she's actually a really good actress. Um, One thing I thought was a weakness that I know you agreed with at the time is that I did not have, I didn't really like Josephina, who is Morph's kind of, I guess, almost love interest. She's the lady that discovers the paintings in the apartment. Yeah. Played by Zoe Ashton. Yeah. Her delivery, like, I think her character is supposed to be kind of quite flat. Yeah. But she just seems very flat. I just don't... I'm not really into her as an actress. Of the cast, she's the one... And given that she's sort of got a, the, a lot of screen time, she's the one person she's where I was like, clunky, I can't figure it? you out. Like, Because I said to you, she's a nocturnal animal. She's mm. got a very, very, very small role in that where she plays um, Amy Adams' like assistant. Mm. And I remember seeing her in that where her delivery was similarly flat and yeah. just very like... Not monotone because that's not what I mean but she is just very like on a on a sort of straight line it's just line. a bit boring yeah. she's just quite boring for, and as you say for someone who has a lot of screen time in this yeah. I, I literally didn't care when she was on the screen no I found her a bit annoying. there was enough like the rest going on was enough to keep me kind of entertained yeah. but she was pretty, you know, yeah. boring. But that was, I, to be honest, that's probably my main kind of criticism of it. I'd happily watch it, happily watch it again. Um, it's no way as good as Nightcrawler, but it was pretty much what I expected, and yeah. I enjoyed it as much as I expected. So I think I think people should watch it if they're into that kind of thing. I think it's definitely worth watching, and it's absolutely absurd. And I would, and I'm, I'm, I'm finding people's reactions to it very, very interesting. And I do know that 
Um, I probably am likely to watch it again before the year is out, which considering it's February and I've already seen it twice, is not necessarily it's pretty, high yeah, praise, but yeah. is perhaps testament to the fact that I got some kind of enjoyment out yeah, of it, which definitely. is, uh, you know, sometimes just what you need. Something completely different is... I mean, really, you couldn't be more different. To like, very polar opposites. something completely different. Um, is If Beale Street Could Talk, which is directed by Barry Jenkins, who, of course, um, was at the helm of Moonlight. Um, he adapted it for the screen from James Baldwin's 1974 novel of the same name. Interestingly, actually, it's the first big screen English language adaptation of Baldwin's works mm. because his estate is very guarded over its output, which is rightfully so. Um, it stars Kiki Lane, Stefan James, Coleman Domingo, Teona Paris, Michael Beach, Dave Franco, Dago Luna, Pedro Pascal, Ed Screen, Brian Terry Henry and Regina King and the film follows a young African-American woman named Tish who with her family support seeks to clear the name of her wrongly charged lover Funny and prove his innocence before the birth of their child. On the awards front Regina King won Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes for her role as Tish's mum Sharon and the film was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Original Score at this year's Oscars with a nomination and a win in the Best Supporting category for Regina King. Also, at the day before the Oscars, which was the Independent Spirit Awards, Barry Jenkins won Best Director, Regina King won Best Supporting Female, and the film overall won Best Feature. This was something in particular that I was really, really mm, looking forward to. I remember to. you reading the book and... Yeah. yeah, so I recently read the novel. I hadn't actually read any of James Baldwin's novels before. I've read mm. some of his kind of essays and, and short extracts of his work before, but If Beale Street Could Talk was the first of his novels that I've actually had the opportunity to read. I was absolutely blown away by the book which then sort of subsequently got me extra hyped for the film Um, Mm. Baldwin's prose is just some of the most beautiful emotive work I've ever read in my entire Mm. life and I'm sort of embarrassed to say that it's taken me to the age of 30 to familiarise myself with Mm. it so I was was pumped for this I really liked Moonlight which Mm. we've talked about before I just think Barry Jenkins is an incredibly interesting filmmaker so going into this I was like pumped as hell Um, and I loved it I was just really blown away way I just think it's such it was just such a beautiful rendering of love I mean I think Barry Jenkins is a filmmaker that just makes fit films which are just so in, it like just filled with love he just yeah, knows how to very, love yeah he's very very good at that on screen he? yeah um, he has a very sort of distinct aesthetic style when it comes to his filmmaking and i just mm. thought like everyone's performances in the film just really blew me away i mean it was interesting to know that regina king had won all of these awards in the mm-hmm. build-up to it because obviously it came out in the states last year but because of release dates we mm. got it stupidly late mm. so it was nice to sort of know that obviously regina king's performance in particular was something that had been getting kind of a lot of awards recognition so and and I think rightfully so her role as Sharon um, who's quite a complex character and has to sort of take charge in the situation which is something that's un- kind of un- uncomprehensible for yeah, us I yeah, suppose yeah. what did you think? Um, I really really liked it I really enjoyed that it's this kind of mix of like it's a love film and a protest film I mm-hmm. love that the kind of the story the love story between these two young people is at the forefront of the story but it's set against this very sort of tense backdrop of 70s Harlem and yep. kind of racial inequality like you say, it's beautifully shot. It's a very detailed film, which spends a lot of time on moments that I feel that would kind of otherwise be either seen as kind of mundane or cut from, you know, a different type of film. Mm-hmm. The performances, yeah, were brilliant. Kiki Lane as Tish. And that's like her first... 
yeah, role, see, right? I, which is crazy. I went away and I, I thought I recognised her from other things, but I looked through her like film mug and I don't think, to be honest, that this is pretty else. much her like debut, yeah. which is insane. She's so good. And Regina King actually, as Tish's mum Sharon, did stand out to me as another really memorable performance. The scene where she, I, in particular, the scene where Tish tells her mum that she's pregnant and the scene where Sharon goes to Puerto Rico to try and convince this the victim of this horrible crime to take back her testimony yeah. against um, her son-in-law. They were, they're kind of scenes that really, really stuck in my mind. Brian Tyree Henry as Fonny's childhood friend Daniel also really stood out like his scene where he's talking about having gone to to prison recently is probably one of the most kind of harrowing scenes in the whole film and probably the apart from Sharon's kind of trip away that I it really stuck in my throat yeah so it beautiful orchestral score it was the sort of thing that I really found myself paying attention to it Mm -hmm. in key moments yeah which I don't often do I sometimes I really don't even notice music yeah um especially orchestral music I'm not very good at picking that out but there were definitely times where I could like feel the repetition of the score and I could really pick up on it in key moments so I really yeah I really really enjoyed it the cinematography is beautiful cinematography from James Laxton I know I I can kind of understand sometimes it does it deliberately dwells on things which I think and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether sometimes it feels like it knows its own kind of beauty a little yeah. bit yeah, yeah, too yeah. much. Like a very... I was thinking of it kind of in terms of like reading a very literary novel. Mm-hmm. Like, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but you know when you know you're reading a literary yeah, novel. Yeah, And it's definitely. kind of, you know you're seeing like a very detailed, beautiful, sophisticated yeah. film. And I don't... Yeah, I don't know whether they did dwell too much in some moments or not. But I can kind of imagine a few people being like a bit sneery about it for that thing. Yeah. I mean, for I think, that reason. I think a thing that I sort of one thing I took away from it is that I thought it was a very, very good adaptation of the book, which itself, which, which I don't, yeah, which I yeah. don't have, so it's really interesting yeah. to hear that. Which is why I think it's interesting to sort of have come at it from two different perspectives. Mm. Actually, I mean, the thing with the book, which I think the film manages to capture, is that the book is all told from Tish's perspective, mm. and it's sort of multiple timelines where she's sort of talking about you know growing up with Funny, mm. and then she's talking about their time together, and then she's also so talking about the present where she's mm. going to visit him in prison and all this stuff and it's sort of it very much the book reads like someone is telling you the story of yeah, her life yeah. and then she's sort of saying oh and there's this and t- jumping around yeah, in terms this of thing kind of happened. memory and yeah. yeah and I think that the film you know because that could be quite tricky to sort of yeah think and it about does on that screen. it does and that it, well it does it very very well I mean what I something I didn't actually realize until today was that Barry Jenkins had been given one of James Baldwin's sort of notebooks that he'd written oh I think I listened written, did they talk about that on a podcast yeah yeah, they did, but I don't. I didn't necessarily pick up on it properly because I'd sort of tried to avoid listening yeah, to too yeah, much yeah. about the film before we'd seen it. But it was in a New York Times. It was on the big picture. They probably mentioned they it during that interview. It, yeah. yeah, it was from a New York Times piece, and it says before the start of the production on If Bill Street Could Talk, Jenkins received an unexpected package from Gloria Carifa Smart, James Baldwin's sister and the executor of his his estate. It contained a brown leather bound notebook dated 1978. In it were Baldwin's ideas about how to approach a film adaptation of the novel. Some of which suggests that Jenkins made choices the writer would have endorsed, mm. using the words of the novel's young narrator as voiceover, excluding a church, certain church scene, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. And I imagine some someone like Barry Jenkins, who has 
a real attention to detail and and strikes me as sort of a very kind of you know wanting to do things the right the way right way type yeah. of filmmaker i'm sure would have found hugely inspirational and given that james baldwin obviously sadly isn't around to see the mm. film I'm, I'm i imagine that barry jenkins is someone that would want to be conscious of, of doing right. doing it justice feels like quite the antithesis to green book doesn't it in Absolutely. that respect thinking in terms of like the estate and what they would have approved of and wanting to yeah, get it doing right it, yeah wanting to get it right it feels like a very different different film the polar opposite completely um there was another thing as well which was um cam collins for vanity fair um and in his piece is definitely worth reading and we'll link to it um it just says uh, what jenkins get gets most right what astonish, astonishes me the most about this film is baldwin's vast affection for the broad varieties of black life mm. is one of the signature lessons of baldwin's work that blackness contains multitudes racial injustice may f- flatten the black experience into one single fearful constantly undermined way of life but that black life black love is so much larger than that it's important for example that jenkins gets baldwin's churchly women right that he clearly delineates the faults in their beliefs as Mm. baldwin saw them with a sense of pity rather than condescension Mm. um and i think that you know the piece goes on to talk about how you know james baldwin was someone that was sort of very socially conscious writer and was talking about the vastness of kind Mm, of the black mm. experience in the united states at the time and i think that like you say it's a very much a film that's about love and romance but Mm. it is also a protest film. yeah and there's a lot of um you know shots within the film that are Mm. talking of that particular time period and and generally a Mm. you know to appeal to um to a modern setting as yeah, well yeah it's quite i mean that's a lot of different plates to be spinning in mm. one go so you absolutely couldn't like there's no way you could fault the way that that film is put together no because it's just, it, it's so it is pretty yeah it's it's pretty amazing yeah it's it's just i just found it to be very very beautiful it's one mm. of those films that the cinematography of it like you've said is is just astounding and i think that it's one of those films that you know you could you could sort of screen screenshot yeah, in the yeah, same yeah. way that I think that you could with Moonlight as mm-hmm. well. You know, you could take any shot from mm. Moonlight and it just looks like looks a wonderfully yeah. sort of constructed image. So the only thing that I came out and I, I didn't not didn't meet my expectations because that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I predicted that I would come out a wreck and mm-hmm. that I would feel a wreck primarily because of the love story. Mm-hmm. But I came out not moved because of this love story to mm-hmm. that extent. Yeah. I felt more kind of haunted by the kind of sad elements and the kind of yeah. protest elements. So I think I thought I was going to be like destroyed in some way. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite feel that way, which isn't, yeah. which isn't a, a criticism. It's just is sort of not what I predicted. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was really going to tug on my heartstrings and it wasn't It wasn't really deliberately setting out to do that, I don't yeah. think. No, I don't think it was either. And actually, I think that's sort of perhaps part of what's so good about it, actually, mm. is that it's not one of those films that like purposefully wants to put you through the ringer. Yeah, it's not like a purposeful tear No, It's almost like it? just a snapshot of a, yeah. of a place in time. And, yeah, and, and exactly. Sort of... And you feel very moved by it and very kind of thoughtful about it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel the extreme emotions that I think maybe I'm used to, like other films deliberately leading me down that path. I guess it's a different type of filmmaking, but um, really, really lovely. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, a TV show that I know we have both binged uh, recently, and every I think everyone I know has binged recently. Right. Um, Russian Doll is the latest obsession on Netflix for pretty much everyone. An American comedy drama created by Natasha. Is it Leon? Leon. Leon. Okay. Yeah, Leon. Like Sierra Leone. 
Uh, yes. Brilliant. Nice. Okay, lovely. An American comedy drama created by Natasha Leone, uh, Amy Paula. I can't even Paola. get her name. Paula. Oh, why am I even doing this? And Leslie Headland. Um, it premiered on February the 1st on Netflix, and I think we all pretty much binged our way through it very, very quickly. Yep. Stars... Natasha Lyonne, Greta Lee, Charlie Barnett, Elizabeth Ashley, and many others. The show follows Nadia, a software engineer or game designer who finds herself reliving her 36th birthday over and over again in an ongoing time loop uh, where she repeatedly dies and the process begins again. I don't know how you felt coming into this because Mm kind of like sex education before, I didn't really know anything about this until it just landed in my lap and then suddenly everyone was going, have you watched this thing? And I read kind of the the synopsis and was like, "Mm, Groundhog Day and wasn't really anticipating much more no I was the same really I think I'd read something probably the week previous being like oh there's this Natasha Lyonne written and And Natasha Lyonne's great yeah I mean I I, oh she's like in I mean I haven't seen all all of Orange that is the new black but she's definitely one of my favorite characters she's a standout she's so good so that's like a that was a hook for me but I mean apart from that it was basically everyone just badgering us to watch it that I thought well I better give this a try it's so funny that week was like have you watched Russian Dog yet no I haven't I'm glad you think of me thinking so it was it was basically the equivalent of Killing Eve again. Oh, Have you watched Killing Eve yet? Have you watched Killing Eve yet? So we, we finally did watch Russian Doll though. Like I say, I initially wondered whether it would be for me. It seems just from the synopsis that it's quite a a well-trodden formula, really, that yeah. kind of Groundhog Day-esque, you know, things happening over and over again. And I kind of wondered what would be different? How, you know, am I going to watch eight episodes of this woman just dying over and over? And I, what's going to really stand out to me about that? But I think it definitely had enough going on to keep it fresh that I came out having binged it within like two days and just absolutely loving it. What did you, what were your thoughts? I think I was very similar to you. It definitely sort of, the initial premise for me when I read it was obviously 100% thinking of Groundhog Day, but I think it's about a lot more than that. Oh I mean, yeah, it's the, I mean, that turned out to be, I mean, it was obviously the, the first comparison you'd think of. But then when you kind of get probably three or four episodes in that becomes like the less likely yeah it starts to get less and less of a comparison that needs to be made i guess yeah it starts to get really interesting when it starts addressing this sort of notion about you know is there one event that can sort of change your life you know Mm. what would happen if you were given the opportunity for a do-over could you change things what are some things in your life that might impact how you end up living yeah your sense of self and how other people live i think when they introduced alan's character a few Mm. episodes in as the first real twist yeah that's when everything changed, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that I'd sort of reached... I think I got to episode... Does he turn up in episode four? I feel like he does. I can't remember. It's three or four. So it's half quite, three yeah, or four, yeah. yeah. And after those first two episodes, I, I was really enjoying it, but I was a little bit... Because it's funny and... Yeah, yeah I mean, I could, I could just watch her for, eight, for hours, her yeah. pronunciation of cockroach. 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 I, I literally wrote that down as well in my notes. It just says cockroach. You know, I could watch Natasha Leone talk for hours, but... I was a little bit concerned after those two first two episodes of being like, mm, this, this, this is song. funny, but how many times are they going to watch her fall down the stairs? Yeah, absolutely. But when it sort of introduces Alan and they're sort of got their similar trajectories and then you learn later on how kind of things intersect. We're doing it. We're going to end up doing a lot of hand motions that look like it's lots of much... kind of portals, Donnie <laughs> yeah. Darko to another world kind of thing. It's very much like that. Yeah. I did, I did think it was really, really interesting and I definitely enjoyed it like a lot more than I sort of initially thought I was going 
going to. Yeah. Um, I thought there was really interesting use of computer games, and it was something I thought that was more very and more clever, wasn't when it? When you've got the fact that, and it, I think I had to read something else about this, and I was like, oh, actually, yeah, that's true. So you obviously got the fact that Nadia design, designs them, Alan plays them, but then you've got the fact that they keep getting reset. The whole play, the whole thing plays out like a computer yeah, game, essentially, computer doesn't it? Game. Like. You just die and you, yeah, it, you die you get, and then you start again. And yeah, that was, I really liked that. I love the idea that she was this kind of game designer as well. She, Natasha Leone just is the absolute centerpiece that holds all of this together. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, I introduced Wes to this. So I watched one episode and I was like, okay, he's going to be into this. And he was absolutely not fussed and has never seen her in his life. And then was in love with her after like one episode because she's just, she's amazing. She's such an interesting character as well. And if you, if you read and know anything, about her life generally speaking this program becomes all the more so much more yeah it really speaks to her experience she's someone that got a lot of success very early on in her life when she was quite young went through a sort of very tumultuous period of of drink and drug use where essentially she She was like a meth addiction yeah she was written off by a lot of people she became this sort of like known new york entity where you'd see natasha leone shuffling around or you know in bars trying to score or whatever yeah Yeah, yeah, absolutely and then she just very much like got clean bounced back turned up in orange is the new black and everyone was like holy shit natasha Leone, like she's back and she's really talented yeah you can imagine her drawing on a a lot of her own maybe past characteristics and yeah experiences for this which is probably why it feels i mean a why it's so funny because it speaks to a lot of truth and Mm b why especially later on where you go from this kind of genre bending traditional sci-fi into something that looks a lot more at kind of trauma and memory and the sense of self that also speaks kind of very truthfully as well because it's something that she can kind of draw on and it's something she's obviously thought about a lot yeah definitely especially as the series progresses those themes become just sort of more obvious don't they when really dark when you get not bank on how dark no i didn't and that was the thing actually is that the the longer the series goes on the episodes are half an hour as well Mm. which is a dream lovely and as the series progresses you get deeper and deeper into this sort of you know trauma they've gone yeah and you know and it gets really dark and she's you know finds herself basically you know she's haunted by her own self as a child it's really it is it's it's pretty creepy at some points and i yeah i didn't bank on how sort of equally funny and tragic it would be i knew we'd like this in terms of just from the very beginning it was going to be a show with a lot of detail that you find yourself kind of pulling out a pop culture kind of easter eggs Mm -hmm. but also the threads that are going to weave the whole show together so oh yeah i remember that from episode one and it recurs again in like episode seven or whatever yeah and i knew like that is absolutely i feel like for me and you especially that is like that's the sort of thing that we love. Yeah, I did from love a show. There, there were a lot of like pop culture references in there that which would pop up, and I was just like, oh god, I love that. I, I thought the use of music was really, really music interesting. Was, yeah. So there's one. So Nadia's sort of reset song, as as it was, is um, "Gotta Get Out" by um, Harry Nilsson. Yeah. Um, and I there was in the New York Times. There was an interview with Natasha Leone, and she says that in choosing the song, she was struck by the buoyant doomsday quality of Nilsson's life. And then this is interesting, actually. Other contenders for the re- set song included Not Tonight by Lil' Kim <laughs> Crazy Feeling by Lou Reed and No oh Fun word. by The Stooges I love what a combo that is right. of course The Stooges has to be in there though yeah I mean it's funny I have I sort of listened to a playlist on Spotify which was sort of music from the mm-hmm. um, the series and that Harry Nilsson song now has just been stuck in my brain like all week forever yeah, yeah. but I do like the on idea repeat. yeah I do like the idea that it could have been No Fun by The Stooges though that I mean or Lil' <laughs> Kim imagine. amazing I can yeah I bet, I bet Natasha Leone picked those as well yeah um, 
um, um, there are a couple of pieces that well, we'll link to um, that are definitely worth ring, uh, reading um, there's Alison Herman for The Ringer which is Russian Dollars a new and excellent kind of mystery book show and then there's also um, mm, Boom I think I read that actually on The Ringer yeah. Yeah. and there's another piece that Boom wrote for BuzzFeed which is Russian Doll and The Good Place want us to be better Good Place as well as another show of course, with... yeah there's kind of comparisons there, yeah which there? is sort of you know what happens after you die when you're in limbo you know how does, All your, those existential how does your real world life affect where you might go in the afterlife and it's that piece in particular is absolutely worth reading and um, it's just a quick quote here it says at the heart of both tv shows is the belief that while we, while we might all die alone the key to getting through life is by being kind to one another which i think is really interesting and, it, and the piece draws a lot of comparisons mm, to the good place you know yeah really similar um how in particular like what it would be like to die this sort of millennial notion of sort of like life being arduous and yeah know, we're all just sort of like waiting for the end to come which we're i think is something and yeah you know something just feels extra um prescient given the fact that it's currently february and it's really hot outside so oh you know God, right boom. don't even and oh. you know what it means to be a good this sort of notion of like being a good person and living a good life and i think mm-hmm. that absolutely themes that are running throughout russian doll as well so i mean i'd be really interested to hear what other people thought of the show yeah i mean i haven't heard a bad word said yet so i no. think we're pretty much all in agreement that it's really fantastic i hope they don't do another series i almost hope they don't want they don't either but i feel like they will i need they think, will because how popular it's been i think actually um something i'd either read or listened to on a podcast is that it had been pitched as a three season arc oh, okay. which like fine. i mean that's i mean that's good if it's been pitched as that because it means that they have they started There's out plan. with something that had been planned out i'm worried that yeah they would come to the end and be like cool we're done with this then they get told they can do more and they're like fuck where do i come back from this but if they had that plan from the beginning that gives me a bit more hope that they know what they're doing with it so yeah. maybe that will turn out okay i mean i could certainly whatever as you said i could watch like nadia speak and rock those outfits just constantly i could do another two seasons of that so yeah be interesting to see where where it, goes where it all goes Okay, so we've talked a little bit about a lot of things that we've enjoyed and that make us happy. Um, We thought we'd spend some time on something a little bit different. (laughs) Uh, Heavy times call for heavier conversations. As people who've listened to our podcast from sort of the beginning would probably know that the thirst was kind of born around or just before the the big kind of Me Too movement began. Um, and we spent a lot of time in earlier episodes talking about Harvey Weinstein and whatever the latest kind of breaking news was. We kind of had like a almost a shit list section. It was the shit list. It was the yeah. shit list in which we felt like we had to talk about whatever the latest, yeah, the latest horrible problematic celebrity scandal was and then at some point we decided between us that we didn't really want to talk about those topics as much anymore um not because they're not extremely important but i think we both felt that we didn't have much to say it just became consistently depressing week on week yeah the shit list i mean it's not uplifting is it no i think i think we just like collectively had become slightly bored of having to address these things each episode which then, especially because a lot of the time we would talk about it in news and then we would go on to do the rest of the podcast and it would just be like, oh, I'm really bummed out now. I know, it's really yeah. Thing. It's... And you're right, we didn't really have anything different to add to the conversation other than to go like, yes, we agree with the fact that this is bad. Yeah, it wasn't really a debate or something that we could really deep dive into, mm-hmm. was it? We, no. You know, we we believe victims yeah. um, and I think, you know, we would always believe victims first and then 
if someone's going to be found out to be not problematic and it's all a big scandal, which, you know, and a big lie, which so rarely, rarely, rarely happens. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the truth usually comes out about that quite quickly. So we've always, we would always believe victims first. Um, But we didn't really have much more to say other than that. There isn't much to say. And I think... Also, we've been quite lucky in that a lot of the people that have kind of been called out are people that we're not particularly attached to, mm-hmm. like sucks that I can't really watch like American Beauty anymore without mm-hmm. feeling a bit rank about Kevin Spacey, but yeah. it doesn't, it's not life altering for me or you in any way. We've yeah. been quite privileged in that way. Um, so that's that's kind of what, how we've been carrying on. And then recently in this new year, we've been discussing this idea of kind of cancel culture and problematic uh, celebrity figures a bit more because I was asked specifically about this in relation to Liam Neeson recently. And for those I'm sure who remember, Liam Neeson made some problematic comments when he was talking about his latest film, Um, And he was reflecting on how angry he felt when a friend of his was sexually abused by someone. But it came off very, very badly. Um, And I was asked what my take on cancelling people was and would we be supporting Liam Neeson going forward? And again, that felt it was pretty easy for me to respond to because firstly, I mean, it really wasn't our place to judge whether Liam Neeson comments were hurtful or not. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I'm not part of a community that gets to decide that. But also, you know, did I, will I be supporting Liam Neeson going forward? I didn't, I never really supported him. I don't pay to go and see his films. I don't. No. Yeah. Tom and I were talking about it yesterday, actually. And I said, you know, we were talking about Liam Neeson specifically. And I was like, Widows, which we obviously saw Mm. at the tail end of last year. That was the first time that I had actively engaged with the Liam Neeson film for, for a considerable time. Because he's not someone whose work I like actively seek out. And also someone who of late hasn't particularly made anything that I've No, there's not. I mean, I'm not. Not a big fan of Taken personally. Yeah, it's very quotable, yeah. but um, I don't think I've seen them all. And no. yeah, he hasn't really been apart so from Widows, and we didn't go. And, we definitely didn't go and see no. Widows for him. So he's sort of easy to avoid generally. I yeah, think. and it was it was a bit of an easy answer, and I didn't feel like again I had mu- I didn't have much to say no. um, about him. I think we both would agree that this idea of sort of cancel culture and what it means to cancel someone, and you know, giving time to artists who might be problematic. It's a really interesting spectrum, and it's a very difficult thing to answer on a very sweeping generalized level i think it sounds like it should be very simple you know this person's shit they're cancelled we're not going to engage with them anymore it's pretty it's pretty difficult to navigate there are lots of questions around who has the authority to cancel someone people use the term cancelled very flippantly now for pretty much anything where is the line you know can someone be forgiven for past actions when can they not and this is all stuff that you know i think you and i regularly navigate off microphone we discuss between each other do we want to go and see this film because it's got so-and-so person in yeah. it um i think we've discussed it with casey affleck before yeah, yeah absolutely we? but then this month we've had the big ryan adams reveal which is something that was a bit of a shocker to read and does affect us mm-hmm. a lot more closely or affects you a lot more closely yeah. and it is something that you've you know you've had a lot of people ask you about um and we've had to we've discussed it at length because i guess with this Ryan Adams things it's really flagged up to us what you know what what do you do when someone you really love is exposed for shitty behaviour yeah completely I think that's the thing that's been sort of really not interesting because it hasn't been interesting at all it's been <laughs> it's not been fun has it no but it's been sort of it's made really 
I suppose it's given me perspective over the fact that until now, until the sort of things that have happened over the last few weeks, I've been able to... Avoiding a lot of work by other people who've sort of been revealed as being problematic mm. for whatever reason with a, such a degree of privilege in the sense that, like, you know, Louis C.K., for example, when all of that was revealed... Right, OK, bye. Yeah, that's not someone Been who, him off, don't care. He's he's appeared in things that I've sort of watched, like he's, he was in Parks and Recreation for mm-hmm. a bit and stuff, but, you know, cutting his work out of my life has been an absolute like I, I didn't even have to think about it no it's it, not I wasn't engaging problem, with it? it in the first place but with with the news about Ryan Adams the New York Times piece that sort of revealed elements of his behavior and things that have happened over you know the last decade or so it's just it's been a real bit of a reset to kind of go like huh okay well this is someone whose work that I've absolutely adored mm. since I was you know 14 15 mm. it is someone whose work I hold incredibly close to my heart you yeah. know and is not and an, it's helped you through a lot hasn't yeah, it yeah like it's had an emotional a real emotional impact yeah absolutely and it's and it's not you know it's absolutely cliche to say that like it's part of my like who I am yeah. but for me un- like unfortunately Ryan Adams is someone is someone who work I identify with so and yeah. enjoy so much yeah. that like you said like in the aftermath of this coming out like the amount of people that ask me about it because I've been such an outspoken I think everyone knew like oh, I think everyone we know probably saw it and thought oh shit April yeah because like I've, because I've been like because I'm a fan like I was I'm such an outspoken lover of his mm. work that it's understandable people automatically think of you and they think yeah, of him yeah absolutely and it's been really like tricky to sort of A get my head around the whole situation not from the point of view of you know is it true is it not because I think that's just an absolute no, moot point like I yeah. like you say I believe victims yeah. always and there's you know no shadow of a doubt that I wouldn't automatically side mm-hmm. with and, and agree with agree but you know yeah. take on board what had been said mm-hmm. in that piece but like head fuck's just like the worst term but it's just an absolute like head fuck it's been such a mind melt to kind of be like oh crap like what do I do now there is this person who I absolutely adore and you put a lot of faith in yeah Yeah. I put so much faith in and I now I just feel incredibly let down and it really Mm -hmm. is the first time that I've had to experience Mm. this because like you say there's been such a degree of selectivity with other people who've been unearthed Mm. or messed up over over the last few Mm. years or especially since we've been doing this podcast yeah and I I think it's funny I've seen a lot of responses on Twitter and our social media threads are obviously going to be very shaped by people who feel very similarly to us yeah. so I've seen a lot of posts by women condemning him and you know but I've been slightly annoyed when I've seen people who've made a real point of saying like oh you feel let down by Ryan Adams well think about how he let down his victims are and it's like mm. I think you can be simultaneously believe these victims and you know support these victims and also be let down for yourself because like I say with music and film and all of these things people are so invested in art that it does become a part of you so you know by behaving like this Ryan Adams is letting down his victims and the people that work with him and you know people that know him and his fans so I think it's completely valid I think people wrestle a little bit with feeling guilty that they should feel this bad about it yeah I mean that, and that's something that I've definitely grappled with over the last few weeks is like feeling absolutely sorry for myself and being really bummed out and gloomy and just really angry and disgusted mm. and confused and you know a whole array of emotions I think you can experience that with the knowledge that obviously like well you know this is my personal experience mm. for, ver- for various different reasons but obviously there are other people that are affected by way 
way more closely yeah, and I'm yeah. not trying to equate my experience with theirs but I mm. think it's it's just this mushroom cloud yeah, it really it is, is that, like at the centre of it are the people that have been harmed mm. and whose lives have been directly affected mm. but then it just it does it clusters out yeah. you know like there's it's the ripple effect yeah. it's the fact that you know I, I had tickets to see him live and I was like well shit I'm not going to go now no. like am I going to get a refund like what do I do blah blah blah, blah, blah. you know mm. like I've got you know I've got loads of his records mm. I've got you know so there's all these things I've got attachment to it and it makes you have to it just re- makes causes you, you to have to reconfigure yeah like, and then you, you feel like you're un- almost under pressure to make a decision about how you're going to deal with this going forward yeah. and navigate him going forward and you know are you cutting yourself off everything are you going to keep those records and listen to them sometimes like there's sort of a pressure and again I think it's because of social media that you know everyone's almost got to put out a press statement that this is how I'm dealing with it and it's actually a very nuanced thing yeah and I think that's the problem with cancel culture I think as a whole is that it requires or it asks of you to make like such a reactionary Mm -hmm. kind of statement about like what your and very publicly yeah what your stand is going to be when actually sometimes it's just not that easy to kind of decipher actually like how you're going to react to this particular Mm -hmm. situation and it's really easy particularly online which is something like like you say we've talked about off mic before mm. is like actually it's really easy to just be like oh they're cancelled or yeah. like you know blah blah not doing that not dealing with this and then you probably forget about it and you find you actually re-engage with them six months later and you don't even really? realise you've done it yeah. and then you look like a hypocrite yeah. like it's a really difficult thing to navigate and I think we all need to I mean this has for me this has raised to me and has made me think a lot more about the fact that we all need to be more accepting of the fact that we all have quote unquote problematic favourites mm-hmm. because we all do Yeah, I would say you know we are both people who take a fair you know have previously taken a line that is very much like we won't financially support these people we wouldn't go out of our way to engage with their work which is all very fine and well but at the same time for myself you know I've got a lifelong love of David Bowie I adore David Bowie Mm -hmm. there have been discussions about David Bowie's activity with like 16 year old girls for a long time like and that's never going to be reconciled now because he's dead but Mm -hmm. that's been floating out there no one's really people haven't come down hard in the way that they have with Ryan Adams but it's out there yeah so I'm guilty of still having that yeah and I mean the thing the thing about Ryan Adams as well which I think we even mentioned on the podcast Mm. um was that I'd said before about you know how his relationship with Mandy Moore Mm -hmm. um had not ended particularly well and there'd been a lot of things where he'd been particularly unpleasant about her in the press and she'd said things about him and I think at the time I'd speculated like I wouldn't be surprised in like 10 or 15 years that Mandy Moore writes a book and just you know regales all these we all know he's shitty to a degree yeah and I think I've always known that he's like a problem problematic like difficult you know quote unquote mm-hmm. whatever that means person mm. but you know because I've read because I just ad- adored him mm-hmm. I was just there was such a not a willingness to turn a blind eye but yeah. it's just a complete selectivity and I yeah. think that's you know it's like pick, people do have a tendency to pick and choose you know yeah. like you know going back to this this notion of you know can you separate art from artists mm-hmm. you know Casey, you mentioned Casey Affleck and that was someone who you know um, in the year that Manchester by the Sea came mm-hmm. out and Ghost Story as well mm-hmm. like two films that I really enjoyed and actively went to mm-hmm. see knowing full well that they were Casey Affleck films mm-hmm. and you know I could have not done that yeah yeah but I I went mm-hmm. I saw them I enjoyed them mm-hmm. I'd made the pointless decision at the end of the of the year to like not include them in my best ofs mm-hmm. because I just felt well actually like by the time 
time had passed as mm. the year had progressed and I'd had more conversations mm. and I'd read a lot more I began to become sort of uncomfortable with the fact that I'd it's engaged it's an evolving it. thing yeah it? and yeah, my, it's you an know, evolving my, process my, my point of view had changed so by you know if you'd compared like my reaction at the start of the year to how it was at the end mm. I'd become more aware of actually do you know what I'm not from this point onwards I'm going to try and be more strict with myself to avoiding mm. but knowing full well that I had engaged at mm-hmm. some point and I do think it's this kind of it is this balancing act of making sure that we believe victims and that we hold uh i mean it does boil down to that can art be separated by artists yeah. uh, from artists i am someone who personally is very interested in art within the context of who is making it and i Completely. think i was thinking about how when i you know studied english literature for my degrees i was the person who always very much took the modules that weren't about like criticizing the actual components of the text but very much analyzed it in the context of the social historical kind of what was yeah. happening at the time yeah. those books were read that's how i naturally lend myself and and there's a really interesting article that we'll link to that was on Vox, which was called What Do We Do When the Art We Love Was Created by a Monster? Mm-hmm. And it's by Constance Grady. And I think that's a really interesting article because it talks about, and I hadn't really, I hadn't, yeah, it makes sense when she says it. She talks about how separating art and artist is a very sort of academic idea, yeah. very literary, you know, this idea that a piece of art isn't great if it can't stand on its own outside of an artist's mm-hmm. sort of moment. And she, she talks about different movements in time who, you know, certain, like the new critics who were very much like art must be examined without the artist in mind. And I can I can see that, especially nowadays, and sort of film critics who, you know, might believe that actually they are still going to p- go and paint and see these films and review them because it's very much about the art and not yeah. the artist yeah, of course. Um, and there is an argument there is an argument for that but it is you know it is something that's very individual to everyone yeah completely. and there's such a sliding it's such a sliding scale it's something that you know this discussion doesn't really have an ending it, it's just really it's really really interesting and it's interesting to see how everyone deals with it and I just feel wet, far more aware of it at the moment yeah I do as well and I think it is interesting that sort of suggestion that I don't think there is like a black and white response no. obviously in an ideal world there would be like a this is bad this is good mm-hmm. you know choose your mm-hmm. side type of scenario mm-hmm. but unfortunately i just don't think it's that easy sometimes and i also think it's really dangerous when you start policing someone's response yeah to um, and the decisions that they make with regarding to how they engage mm. a particular piece of art if like you say the artist mm. in a broader scale is problematic or has had dealings in you know mm. in in what in whatever makes mm. them a problematic person you know mm. i think something i was thinking about recently was um particularly actually when because of um the chat we'd had recently about like the upcoming uh, manson killing film and it was it just yeah. got me generally thinking about roman polanski yeah um, and you know he's someone who's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like deeply deeply problematic yeah and yet the industry as a whole mm-hmm. has like lauded his work and, mm. and still considers him you know a good filmmaker adrian Brody won an, an, an right. oscar for being in the pianist mm-hmm. a film that, which was made by roman polanski so mm. there's just until the industry itself i think it's a really begins to like it, look it? on itself and actually that's that's kind change. of yeah that was one of the things that came to me when i was asked about liam neeson actually and it was like you know art, do you think liam neeson should be canceled 
stance or not at all. Firstly, I'm not the person who should be saying whether his comments are hurtful. But secondly, who gives a shit whether I think he's cancelled if the industry... This isn't going to affect him at all. Like, it, we know it won't. Mm-hmm. They might have cancelled the red carpet event, but it's not going to... This isn't going to affect his career in any other way, really, because the industry isn't really going to mind. No, which um, is why I think things like Time's Up and, like, you know, the Me Too movement as a whole, that's where you see, actually, that people put pressure on the mm. industry widely to make changes or mm. to you know signpost to say like this is not okay and then we want this change mm. if pe- when people or groups put pressure on mass that's mm. when change happens but mm. me turning around and saying like oh well i'm not going to go and watch any more liam neeson films well like it's not really going to put a dent know, that's in much, my is it? it's my moral compass good for you yeah, yeah good for yeah. me right but until the industry i mean he, he's not necessarily the best example to use but until mm. the industry widely says like actually that's not okay fine well we're gonna not work with him or we're not going to include him in xyz mm. like until they start doing it then yeah and racism in, i think you know racism yeah. in particular is something that i mean there are lots of other podcasts that talk far more eloquently about it but that is something in particular that we are not making really much headway on at all but it's interesting Ryan Adams is an interesting one and I know we've discussed this before on this podcast in that the Me Too movement has kind of started this big snowball for the film industry and mm-hmm. for Hollywood which has been really important and really good music has been failing to catch up R. Kelly is only now really being held to account for his crimes and you know there were there were documentaries about R. Kelly before this Showtime one this year um, we've all just sort of moaned about it and then nothing's been done about it he still had a record deal until recently yeah. but yeah the music industry is always felt like it was far behind and there's always been excuses in that respect and I think what's interesting about Ryan Adams is this feels like the first time that people were starting to actually say hang on yeah this is the industry's problem as well as you know our problem and because he had really you know negative encounters and relationships with women in the music industry and they've spoken out loud about how they were treated by the industry and how people haven't listened to them um i'm kind of hoping it helps you know and that maybe we actually do make some movement yeah completely i mean there was a really interesting piece on that topic by laura snapes for the guardian Mm. that was called the ryan adams allegations are the tip of an indie music iceberg yes and the sort of subheading for that was so-called alternative musicians pride themselves on being more enlightened than their rock counterparts but in my years of writing about them I've found found no end of beta male misogyny and Mm. it's a really interesting interesting piece that I really Mm. recommend everyone read and we will definitely link to it Mm. because it looks at the fact that actually like she's right it is the tip of the iceberg and I think that you know instances that you've seen in the film industry or TV industry are completely and and inevitably must be existing within the music industry Mm. but like you know I I say this as being having been a fan of him for many many Mm. years Ryan Adams has always been posited as this person that's like a difficult man yeah but in a like oh it's sort of yeah kind of appealing like in that indie kind of oh he's a troubled guy and he's got troubles yeah and there's been quite a few interesting other other than laura snapes's piece actually um i'll see if i can dig some up Mm. to link on the blog but there have been a few other really interesting pieces written by women Mm. that have said like that's really really been marketed as part of his appeal and it's just Mm. generally been part of his appeal anyway that you know Mm. like he's just he's difficult you know oh you want to fix him that kind of yeah yeah. he writes really soulful he's Mm. he's an he's a difficult person but he writes really soulful Mm. you know heartfelt music Mm. and and that's just you know we've enabled i mean everyone's enabled that and the industry has enabled that in a lot of ways 
that it? enabling I think yeah. that's really interesting so I would be I'm, I'm really interested to see if actually this is sort of like the you know Jenga piece that pulls mm. out and whether mm. other people begin to find themselves unearthed really and it's yeah. not that I want that to happen but but we need it to but we need it to happen, need it to happen. yeah interestingly what you're saying about there's lots of kind of female journalists who've been writing about this there's only been one I mean I'm sure there are others but there's only been one kind of article that is very similar to that that has been written by a male as far as I've seen and that's Matt Mellis who wrote for Consequence of Sound mm-hmm. and there are a bunch of people who are really invested in Ryan Adams yeah. and they talk about Ryan Adams regularly and they also talk about Phoebe Bridges read regularly mm-hmm. and sort of and there's an article that Matt wrote called The Ryan Adams Allegations Offer Another Chance to Look in the Mirror which says a very similar thing in that you know it should be a call for the industry to take an honest look in the mirror and you know that they're in a very privileged position and if they're not sort of helping artists to grow and promoting new voices and helping them with a human experience and they're kind of failing interesting that there's not actually many men who've been <laughs> no there's, there's one of the only male reactions yeah I've seen. I mean I'm sure men are horrified but that's one of the only people who said like come on we haven't been treating women yeah, in the music I industry mean, very well I think I said to you privately that one of the many things about all of this that has upset me personally the most is that the large majority of the reactions I saw on the day and on the subsequent days after mm. were and you know this could just be be me and the people that I follow or those mm. I engage with but majority of the reactions I saw that were like proclaiming absolute horror and you know sadness and disgust and and all of that were from women all of the male Ryan Adams fans that I know have said been pretty quiet said very little to nothing to mm. be honest and that just that's not necessarily a barometer of whether they care or what their reaction is personally mm. but I did find it very interesting that's that- another thing to wrestle with really isn't it like whether whether as a male like as a male listener or a male fan or whatever whether you should stay silent and be like okay this is not my ch- time to well, speak yeah. or whether you should be speaking and adding your voice and saying I it's I, it's, I can understand that's um, difficult as well it's finding a balance between like is my voice needed in this scenario mm. but should I be voicing my support yeah yeah, um, absolutely. And I, and I understand that, you know, from a male perspective, it may be that I don't want to wade into this mm-hmm. because it's not who wants to hear from a man mm. in this scenario. And, and I often think that's, you know, people would be more mindful Fine. of that yeah. scenario. We, we agree. Yeah, yeah, completely. But it just would have been nice to have had some acknowledgement mm. from people, men who engage with... Yeah, you can acknowledge without having to, yeah. I don't know, write an essay about right. your thoughts and feelings. But, that's fine. But yeah, I suppose that's neither here nor there. And we'll see how this progresses further in, yeah. the, in the future, I suppose. It will be interesting to see what happens now and what happens next um i've been trying to think about what you do next when something like this happens and when you're a big fan of someone and i think there is quite clearly no solid answer um i liked that vox article because the writer constance grady talks um about how there you know there isn't a definite way to deal with things and she's actually talking she talks about this in the context of loving edward scissorhands and how sure yeah. um, you know that's my childhood film and what yeah. do i do now because of johnny depp yeah and she basically says at the end like we've been given the apparatus now to make our own personal decisions based on time and context and emotion and we should just be pleased that we get if we're given the full picture we can then decide 
ourselves on a case-by-case basis what we're comfortable with and it is very much about what we're comfortable with Uh, there's a podcast on the lady pod squad network called your fave is problematic with elizabeth and Kristen, which is a really really great podcast and deals with this as a topic for the show and that's really interesting because they both acknowledge that their reactions to different art and artists might be very different and at the end of each show they kind of they sum up personally whether they're feeling um you know how they feel about that now they've Mm -hmm. kind of been through the motions with it Um, and they both freely acknowledge that some you know one of them might say like absolutely this is this has reached my level I can't deal with this I won't be engaging with this at all going forward and the other person might not feel the same yeah so I think I think we've found it interesting. It's opened up our eyes to the fact that I need to be, it's okay to be angry and I want to make sure that I support people and I, I don't know, give a voice when I'm I'm criticising. Like I want to be outspoken, you know, and I want to yeah. criticise people and say that I won't be supporting people for their actions. But I also want to try and be mindful of how other people feel about I don't know do you know what I mean yeah it's no just... I do I, I think that's that's what it boils down to for me sometimes is that like I don't think there is a right and wrong response sometimes I think everyone has their own nuances and, mm. and the way they see particular things you know down maybe affected by personal circumstance mm. or something like that and and I, I think that's fine mm. so to me that is fine I mm. don't I don't want to ever put myself in a position where I like unknowingly chastise someone for doing something thing that I wouldn't do myself mm. I feel like that across the board yeah, whether yeah. that's you know like I don't eat meat but mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. have I don't aggressively yeah. have a go at people that eat meat I don't drink but I don't sure. like you know you don't have a go at me yeah well, they're true though isn't it and yeah. I, I think because actually like that's not that's not how that's not situations, your life. That's not yeah. my life. And it's not, you know, it's not how situations or dialogues happen. And mm-hmm. I do think that that's something I'm, you know, you, I think people need to be mindful of. Mm. Um, and I'm going to be more mindful of going forward as well is that, you know, it's it's fine for me to kind of be selective about what I want to engage with mm. um, for whatever reason. But I think it's, I think, I just think it's a learning curve. It I think is. it's just, it's a process of evolving. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, you know, the way that culture is at the moment, the way that these issues are coming to the forefront mm-hmm. of um, and getting me attention which i think is brilliant mm-hmm. i think that everyone's just learning how to yeah, adapt it is and deal a bit with of things a, yeah people used to bury their head in the sand yeah. a lot more didn't they so yeah going forward it'll be interesting to see what happens um just on a final note to kind of sum up well not sum up but uh, just a nice note to end on um i wanted to thank everyone um from the lady pod squad network who uh i did speak to about this because a lot of people have kind of been dealing with you know similar thoughts and feelings and discussions on their podcasts themselves so thank you to elizabeth from your favors problematic and Kristen. thank you to alicia from flutzes and waxels lolly Alyssa, hannah from film roast marie from go your own ya victoria from the broadswords and also I just wanted to end on a comment that uh, Alicia uh, Alicia had sent me about what she's what she's been trying to do in the face of these kind of these problematic celebrities and these stories that have been emerging about celebrities and she said I've started using the opportunity to seek out and champion the work of women femmes LGBTQ and POC artists who are not garbage after Louis CK was revealed to the public to be an abusive jerk face I like jerk face <laughs> I spent a week consuming only TVs and media with women slash femme show creators, runners or writers. 
I did it as a kind of personal attempt at brain detox at first, but I discovered so many cool creations that I naturally started telling others about. And I became confident that no matter what, I'll be able to find other works of art to laugh at or cry with or just watch and listen to, which I think is a nice, I think that's a really nice way to think about it, that she does this like brain detox of like, this is shit, I feel let down. Here's a bunch of other stuff that I'm going to immerse myself in for a while just to give myself like... Just counters it. Yeah, just to remember that actually there's so much great art and artwork and artists out there that will still be there for us even in the face of other people letting us down and I think that's a really positive kind of thing to keep in mind. Yeah, definitely. Um, so from uh, something like that on something slightly more light just something a bit more upbeat let's go back to the upbeat we like the upbeat this is what we're here for mostly right. uh, what's your obsession of the week please okay so my obsessions are the week, of the week are two boring ones go on um, I'm really glad that The Haunting of Hill House has been renewed yep. joy for me I'm really pleased and I can't wait although I'm a bit bored of anthology shows but this was a really really good show so yay um, and also we saw the trailer for us and Bloody finally well. in the cinema because we've both purposefully not watched it on a little phone and it actually scared the shit out of me I was tense. I'm so excited I've been thinking about it all week since we saw it it was the trailer ahead of If Bill Street Could Talk hilarious um, I'm just really excited for it. I gasped. I know. I there was actual gasps. I had. I got five on it in my head. I think I still got it in there. So Such a good so excited for that film. I'm so excited to talk about it as well. It looks fucking so good. But the other thing that is my obsession of the week. Can we discuss the fact that Army Hammer is 32? Oh my god. Army Hammer. Yes. Armand Hammer. Armand Hammer is only 32. When you text me, so he's to tell me this. I I was a gog. I thought he was thirty nine. I thought he was late thirties. I thought he was older than most of my friends. Yeah, but he's actually younger than the majority of he's my friends. He's the same age as Thomas. Army Hammer is thirty two. Do you think it's his height that has done that? Okay, What's so going on here? Full disclosure: I a hundred percent have the very child view that anyone who is tall is is old. older. You're like, so tall. You're so You're tall. So grown You're up. a grown up. He's got bubbies and things. Yeah, he's I married. Assumed. He's a, not like swarms of my friends aren't married at the same age, but in my head, he was so much older. I'm actually I cannot believe he's thirty two. I look at him so differently now. When you text me, I also I genuinely had to Google it to double check. Yeah, also no, I didn't I believe did it. it. Just I, I thought like, everyone's going to come back to me and you're going to be like, yeah, Steph, of course he's there. Like, we all know this. And then you were like, what the fuck? What? And then Von was like, no. no. Like, I this is... I keep thinking about it. I cannot believe he's 32. I can't remember where I was when you texted me, but Tom and I were definitely like either out or doing something and I had to stop him and be like, Tom, did you know that Army Hammer is 32? And he's like, what? Like, what are you, what? 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 This older gent. Just, Isn't that weird? It's so weird. I now think I'm probably going to excuse every like brattish thing he's ever done ever. Because Isn't he it, is a bit of a brat. Isn't it weird? I'm just going to go, well, he's just so young. He'll 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 understand. He's practically he'll a child. He's, why? He's practically a child. Yeah. I just can't believe that really. Weird, I do also it? still really fancy him and I wish I didn't, but I do so much. I simultaneously hate and love him loathe love loathe oh. i just yeah he's a lot Living. he's a very tall snack and he's 32 years old wow. blinded what is your obsession of the week i hadn't actually really prepped this but That's two, fine. two i shall what's pull, on your mind two i shall pull from the ether one <laughs> is that 
Tom and I started watching Big Mouth last week. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I don't get it. It's fine. We don't have to talk about it. But no, it's fine because you should talk about so it. You should talk things about the things you love. I April. didn't think I wanted to ever watch Big Mouth. I didn't. Think We've had it... so many scathing conversations in which you said, <laughs> "God, I'm never going to watch that." Oh, it's really good. I'm sorry. She I said, just... "Look at all these idiots watching Big Mouth." No, oh, look at all you shit munchers like in ah! Big Mouth. Um, it's really good, isn't it? I'm really sorry. I Did you watch the whole thing? We've um, we nearly finished season two. Oh, yeah. for God's sake. Sorry. I was on holiday. They talk about willies so much, April. I just don't care. Okay, Sorry. So the I know is, the hormone monster is cool. <laughs> the thing is, is that I didn't think I would like it. And then we started watching it. Um, and I realised I loved it. And the, the thing I concluded is that it's because it's basically everyone I love from comedy involved in it. Yeah. So, I don't me, know if I have many comedy connections. Yeah. You know? Well, it's Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, a duo of whom I am obsessed with. And oh, you, you throw like Jason Manzukas into the mix. And then that's just like holy trinity. And then you've got May Rudolph as well. And I'm just like sold on it. So that's fine. That's one thing. I don't think I'm fussed by adult cartoons. I think okay. I just don't care about adult cartoons. The, the thing is, I've been very dismissive of Bojo. Jack Horseman in the past because I absolutely cannot abide Are you going to watch Bojack? No, now? absolutely okay. not because I just don't get I don't, it. I don't really get adult cartoons. No, it's but not. I mean, that's not to say that they're not valid, a, a but huge I just selling, don't get them personally. A huge selling point is that it's only 30 minutes long. So there we You go. need to stop purposefully going for TV shows because they're short. <sighs> got no patience. We're very anyway, naughty. That's one thing. Another thing is that I've spent a lot of time watching um, the Bon Appetit YouTube bon Appetit. channel. Which is, uh, Bon Appetit is a food-based magazine. They have a YouTube channel where they do loads of videos of like people making stuff and it's just very... is this what you watch at work do you just watch this at work i wish i watched it at oh. work i do it in my leisure time oh do you thanks but the thing is i'm just really obsessed with bradley own who is um one of the bon appetit people who, who works for them and does loads of cool stuff he's just really tall looks a bit like a chubby Ryan tall is he there for a bit quite old he's, he's probably not 32 pro- is he quite grown up <laughs> Um, he's just ace, really. Lovely. He wore a sleep t-shirt in, in one oh, video. Oh, did he? And he was making yeah. food. Making food. Lovely. That's sexy on Makes most kombucha. Made some pickles. Ooh, that's a lot. Do you remember when my mum thought she'd invented shakshuka? <laughs> that was a good day, wasn't yeah. it? She just did not believe me. She was like, oh, no, but I bet they don't put an egg on it. She could, like, yes, they do, Denise. Denise could tell me that and I'd just be really blown away. Maybe she should have her own YouTube channel. Oh my God, Niecy's cooking Niecy's channel. Cooking where channel. she makes Get shakshuka. her on Bon Appetit. Oh, yeah, okay, let's do that. Set her up. She'd have some fun times with Bradley Owen, I'm sure. Would she? Yeah, okay, cool. she'd probably like him. Yeah. Does he bake? Uh, he doesn't, no. Oh, okay. He makes well, really we'll good see. tacos, though. Oh, tacos are great. There's a taco video where he does. Um, he makes tacos with Matthew Matheson. Oh, nice. So that basically it's my dream. Nice. She, uh, Mum's mum, Niecy's really into <laughs> Thug Kitchen. I think she likes it because it's like good cooking, but there's also swears in it. Get her on at supper time okay. with Matty. Right, okay. Can so you? That, I think my mum's going to become a really she big stan of that. It. So, okay. That's going to be the next section of our podcast is Niecy Reviews. <laughs> cooking shows i'd um, listen to that oh it had a good swear in it she yeah, doesn't sound like that at all but there you go um so that's us done you can find us online twitter we're at the thirst soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod you can subscribe and review us on apple Podcasts by searching the thirst instagram we're at the thirst pod our blog is the thirst pod.wordpress.com and facebook we're.com forward slash thirst pod bye bye, bye.